Word. Welcome to Arash's World. Today we have Michaela Renee Johnson, uh, who does many things, has many talents, and wears many hats. And uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Welcome to Arash's World today, Michaela. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> Wonderful. So what I like to always start with is um, my guests to present themselves, to introduce themselves in any way they see fit. And if we can get started with you then, please. Yeah, so I, as you said, I'm a licensed psychotherapist, best-selling author of the book Empowered, a motivational journal for women. I'm Oh, what else? Podcast host, you know, homeschooling mama. I do all sorts of things, different, different hats every hour. <laughs> okay. And, and, and everything is part of your personality, would you say, and part of your identity that each of these parts uh, are who you are combined, like uh, as a whole, would you say? They've they definitely all come together in a very synergistic way, finally. <laughs> and so you also have a new book, uh, Growth Mindset Workbook for Adults, Empowering Insights and Exercises to Turn Challenges into Opportunities and Achieve Your Full Potential. Yes, um, and that book will be out in the fall of 2022. So it's very exciting. Oh, oh that is very exciting. So um, you're mentioning things like growth mindset. And I'm really fascinated by that because I like both things. I'm into growth. And I think mindset is hugely important. So um, what would be one of or different ways that we can achieve this kind of growth mindset? What do you recommend here just briefly that you use in your book? Well, it really takes, you know, an effort to pull yourself out of a fixed oriented mindset where, you know, you're kind of saying things are happening to me or it is what it is or um, you know, even the flip side of that, the positive fixed oriented mindset. Well, I know all I need to know about that. So, and it takes a cognitive effort to really pull yourself out of that space and, um, consider that things can change, things need to change and that change is good. Yeah, exactly. Change is good. And we, we get stuck in routines and ways of doing things. And we often assume it's the best thing to do, or we just kind of give up and say, well, that's the best I got. So we have people who are stuck in jobs they don't enjoy. We have people who are stuck in relationships that they don't fully enjoy. So uh, how can you break out of that rut, basically? What would you say? You know, I think that the biggest thing is if you want to continue living a lukewarm life, by all means, stay in the situation you're in. But if you want to start to really expand and grow and um, experience all that there is to experience in life, then it's time to make some moves. And in order to do that, there is a certain amount of risk that's involved. And when we are, you know, at our most uncomfortable is when we do the most growing. And so don't be afraid to get a little uncomfortable. Don't be afraid to get a little hot or a little cold and make some calculated risks and take some um, chances in life. Absolutely agree with you. I think comfort zone is a lot of us are stuck in it and we're afraid of stepping outside of it because we don't know what's going to happen. And that's at the expense of good things that could happen, but we just like so, so, so afraid of it. So how can we overcome that fear and get uncomfortable? I think it's recognizing that it's temporary, right? Anything that you are going through is temporary. And so when, uh, when we look at fear as something that is um, there for our protection, we can start to kind of think about it as, in terms of, well, what do I really need to be protected from? 
what is really the biggest thing here that is a threat to me? And when you start looking at it from a very technical standpoint, then you don't have to be as afraid of it. I'll give you an example. Um, I live in the rural Sierra Nevadas. I love to hike. I often hike alone, right? So there's an assessment of risk, right? There could be a mountain lion, there could be this, there could be that. Now I could be completely consumed by fear and not do something that I love and enjoy, which is go for a hike. Or I could um, look at what is a realistic logical threat and um, take some action into protecting myself from what could happen in a reasonable way. And then I can go and push through the fear and enjoy the thing I wanna do. Mm -hmm, wonderful. Yeah. And I think that is we're more afraid of fear itself than the actual situation. So it's when we imagine what could happen, what could go wrong, and we stop doing it. But when we actually do it, we say we were completely off. Yes, exactly. And that's often what happens is we realize like, oh, that wasn't that scary. You know, I see this a lot with my son. He's afraid to go on a ride at the mm -hmm. fair. And then we go on the ride at the fair. It's like, that was so fun. Let's do it again. You know, and it's like, wow, there was a whole lot of gnashing of teeth for, you know, the 10 minutes leading up to going to do this thing. And then once he was doing it, he was having a great time. Yes. Uh, well, there was another kind of talking about rides. It just uh, it reminded me when I was young, I was about five, six years old. I went on a roller coaster ride and that traumatized me because I expected it to be smooth. And I like trains and it was pretty intense. So it took me a, a good, like um, almost 40 years after that to face that fear again. And then once I did it, I thought like, yeah, it wasn't a big deal. And it was just my imagination that I had as a kid that I carried through my life, that fear existed in the back of my life. But then I was okay and I wanted to go again. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is a good like analogy for life right <laughs> exactly. fear, you're gonna enjoy it and want to go again <laughs> yes yes but the, the the feeling you get is also a sense of control i think and of i have more control of my life i'm not afraid of it if i want to i can go another roller coaster ride it's not something that is a limitation and I think that is, um, we often limit ourselves in many ways. We put like um, basically like frontiers and limits in front of ourselves and say, no, I can't do that. Or I won't be able to get that job or I will not do well on the job interview or I, that relationship won't work out. And I think that is becoming a you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. And um, we need to step over that and really face and take challenges as you're saying, I think. Yes, and I think that the key to a growth oriented mindset is recognizing the ways in which we are you know, fulfilling our own prophecy in that, in that way. You know, my friends never call me and then because you're a downer and you're not fun to talk to, your friends never call you, you know, so you are creating this world of your own. And I think oftentimes we don't wanna recognize because it's, it's a little bit harder to realize when we are kind of getting in the way of ourselves, you know, when we're tripping over ourselves. But when you step out of the way of yourself, it's really amazing what can happen. Exactly. And uh, and not being afraid of being unhappy. That's the, the idea, too, we have that I have to be happy at every moment of my life. And people start panicking when they're not happy. 
And uh, I think that's one thing. And it's also like looking into the causes and reasons. What is it that's making me unhappy? What is it that I could do to overcome the unhappiness so I can become happy again? So it's, it's a different focus. Instead of looking for something, achieving something, finding out what is the root of my issues. And for me personally, um, I've been fascinated with psychoanalysis, especially in recent years, because it's really helped me to dig into that fear, that childhood fear of roller coasters. And it's like, wait, this is a, I'm a different person. This is a different situation. And I know more and I should apply that knowledge, as you say, like in, a, in a cognitive way of analyzing it. And wait a minute, I can overcome this. And I think that's just this one tiny example. We do it throughout our lives in the whole spectrum of relationships and uh, decisions that we make. So um, would you, uh, is psychoanalysis something that you find interesting? Is it something that you apply or what is your approach here? You know, I think sometimes it, I, I, I take it twofold. I mean, I think sometimes it's important to analyze something. And I think sometimes we overanalyze something. That's so, true. you know, you're having a crap day because somebody cut you off in the car. You're having a crap day because somebody cut you off in the car. Like just reset, you know, buck up, yeah. move on and get over it. You know, we don't need to sit here and analyze like, well, oh, well, if this, you know, so I think it's just important to kind of you know, assess the situation for what it is and, and have a, an appropriate amount of analysis based upon the situation. You know, but if you're going the through emotions divorce, get in the way, something. you know, often the emotions get in the way because uh, a lot of us logically know that we shouldn't be afraid of this and this, but we still are. And so even like telling ourselves, like, let's be brave. I got this. And there's still something holding us back. I, I know uh, people who are wonderful people who are very friendly and kind. But when she's driving, when I was sitting in the driver's seat next to her, she becomes a monster. And I just thought, like, how would that disconnect? It's like, what made this person change so much? And uh, I think she knows that um, this is happening, but it sometimes seems like not within our control, especially when we talk about emotions. So how do we uh, deal with those emotions that kind of creep up? You know, it's just very simple. You have to create space between the emotion and the reaction. You're not going to stop like the emotion, but <laughs> you can stop the reaction. That's really what it's about, you know? So it's just creating space there in between the two. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great answer. Wonderful. Yeah, because it's it's we're not uh, slaves of our emotions and we shouldn't fall into it. We shouldn't be enslaved by it. But again, recognizing it, I think that is really the first step. And that's that's something that's helped me a lot of like, OK, yes, you maybe you feel anger, but then just kind of give it space, give it room, accept it. Don't fight it because it gets worse when you fight it. It really does. I mean, and I think that, um, you know, this is one of those things where when we're having a cred day, we kind of tend to want to continue to have a cred day. You know, we want to like empower ourselves through our negativity. Like I deserve to feel cruddy and that doesn't do any good for anybody. So how can you step outside of yourself? How can you get out of your way? How can you create a little something different for yourself? Because truly my experience doing, you know, psychotherapy work is that rarely is whatever the other person that caused you to be upset or the other thing that caused you to be upset, 
they're not upset anymore. They've moved on about their life and you're the exactly. only one that's in misery, you know? Yeah. And we often assume the worst too, where we're so tough on ourselves. I, I think just the inner critic and we think that people are judging us all the time and they're commenting about us, about how we walk, how we talk, how we dress. But in fact, they're not interested in none of that. They are interested in their own worlds and they have their own thoughts and emotions and preoccupations. They don't have time to, to waste on us basically. But it's kind of that shift that we need to, to do at mind shift, I think as well. It's not all personal. <laughs> no, I think you're absolutely right. I do think there's a certain component to um, realizing that even if they do have an opinion or belief about you, at the end of the day, they're not the one paying your bills. They're not the one, you know, going to bed and hitting your pillow. You are in your life and that's really it, you know, as far as that goes and having a, a certain amount of weight on what other people are thinking or saying or doing, it really doesn't serve you too much. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly you have to be mindful of your relationships and how you show up and you have to be considerate of the way you are in your relationships, but it doesn't really serve you much to just dwell on what everybody else is thinking or doing. Exactly. And that, the thing is, that's also an opinion. And if they have an opinion about you, well, that is their opinion. And uh, again, that's, that's, that's kind of debatable and it shouldn't bring us down. It shouldn't cause us to worry. And I think that comes more to also being authentic, being a person who is truthful and honest, uh, not only with others, but with themselves. And uh, would you my agree mom, that? Yeah. My mom used to have a phrase. She said, opinions are like bubbles. Everybody has one and they all stink. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. That yeah. Always my approach in life. But all that said, you know, it's still natural. It's still human nature to want to socially fit in. And it's natural to want to like consider things that are being said. Um, in this way, I say that criticism and compliments are on the same spectrum, right? There's, yes. They have the ability to take your power away. So be mindful of both. Yes, both. absolutely. I agree. Yeah. But we, we like to, we like the compliments, but then the criticism we, we take very seriously. And again, it goes both ways. The moment you accept the compliment, you become susceptible to criticism and the effects it has on you. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think that also triggers things within us. When we hear that criticism, it's also the, the voice inside of ourselves that we feel. It's like we're criticizing ourselves. And um, um, how can we reach a point where we say, where we can integrate the different parts of ourselves so we can become more uh, authentic? have an authentic life, whether it's in terms of success in our, in our work life, as well as in our private life, um, what would uh, be a recommendation you would give? What would be a tool that we can use to, to get to the point where a kind of a holistic way of like embodying um, authenticity, honesty, and, uh, and truth within the same person? How, what would you, what, I mean, it's a tough question, but what would you say would help us to get to that point? I mean, I really think the, that what it boils down to is you've got to understand what and why. And so I encourage people to ask why. Mm -hmm. um, if you mm -hmm. want to be authentic, you've got to know who you are. And in order to do that, you really have to ask yourself, why am I in this job? Why am I in this marriage? Why do I do this hobby? 
Why do I want to lose weight? You know, you really have to start taking a look at the reasons in which you've been doing things in your life, because a lot of times it's not for us that we're doing things. And so if you want to live an authentic life, then you've got to tap into your inner truth and your inner self, and you've got to be prepared to shed the things that you're doing for everyone else. And, um, start living the life that you want to create. And that from that space is when you become authentic. Thank because you. when we understand our why, every decision that we make in our life subconsciously is leading us to what we want to accomplish. And um, by that, I mean, you know, if I pick a spot on a map to hike to, I don't start walking the other direction, right? I start walking towards the spot. Now, things may happen. There might be a tree in the path that I have to kind of take a little detour, go around, but I'm still generally walking in that direction. And so this is how we start to live an authentic life as we understand, you know, what and why, and then we start walking in that direction. Mm -hmm. And throughout, I think we should have also a sense of positivity to carry around with us. And I'm not talking about positive psychology necessarily of like, oh, everything is fine, because I think often things are not fine and we have to accept them and face that. But at the same time, everything will be fine. And we got this and that kind of like that uh, um, booster for confidence and having faith in oneself. I think that is that is important, that compass that we carry within us that even if we get lost, we can find our way back to the, the, the location we're heading towards. Yeah, I like to tell people, you know, it's okay to have a cruddy moment. It's okay to wallow for a brief period of time and say, you know, this sucks. This is not bringing me very much happiness. I'm not liking this because from that place, we do our most growth. And so it's okay to feel that for a minute. But then, like you said, it's a comment of, but it's going to change. I'm not going to feel the same way. Things are going to improve. Things are going to be different at minimum. And I'll go from that space. I'll move on from there. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, exactly. And that control and not to victimize oneself or just kind of give up. And it's like, well, that's what I got and doesn't get better. And I have to accept it. Right. And that, that is, I think, the, the, the most self-defeating thing that we can do in our lives. You know, and some things I like to tell people, some things in life you can't change. That's okay. You don't have to. You don't have to control absolutely everything, but figure out the lesson that you can take away from that experience and what you do different. And that's the change, right? You're changing how you're looking at it. Sometimes it's all we get. Sometimes things are literally without, out of our control. They're not within our control. And, um, but what we are always in control of is how we respond, how we react and what we take from it. Yes, yes, I completely agree. And it's the serenity prayer. I just love that, you know, things that I can change, things I cannot change and know the difference between the two. And once once you, you really fully embrace that, even if you're not uh, recovering from uh, alcoholism, once you fully embrace that mindset, I think it is, it is so mind opening, liberating. I, I cannot control certain things and that's okay because I cannot and uh, it's beyond what we can do, but also being able to, realize this is what I can change. And as you say, my response to it is very important. And that's when we have the inner freedom. And I completely agree with that. Absolutely. So um, what about spirituality? Um, how do you, uh, would you see spirituality of, of, of helping people? For me, uh, I think that um, faith and which could be seen in various ways, um, faith in oneself, faith in higher powers, or again, um, any, any kind of things that give us, gives us comfort and uh, uh, guidance and solace. 
How would you say is how important is that in people's lives? And do you notice that maybe a lot of people are missing out on the the power of uh, spiritual transformation that could exist too? I think that uh, I was just talking with someone about this recently. I think that we've become a nation that is afraid and nation, planet, whatever, uh, that is afraid of spirituality. Mm -hmm. I think we are afraid of shame and purgatory or having to follow the rules or whatever it might be. And I think that this is one of the greatest problems that we're seeing in the planet today is that people don't have that faith in whatever it might be. And it's really devastating, actually. I think that we'd be in a much different space if we had more faith in something beyond ourselves. Mm -hmm. But it is a kind of a growing movement. I think a lot of people are talking about spirituality these days, but it, it is also interesting how the definition of it is, is quite different according to, to who you ask. And in some cases, I'm not even sure that I would call what they're talking about necessarily as spiritual. So I, I think for me, spirituality is something like that goes beyond ourselves and that um, uh, embraces others and not just us. But then there's a lot of people who are very self-focused and uh, um, self-contained and they are um, egocentric as well. And I don't think that is, I think that goes counter to how I understand spirituality. Um, you know, that's an interesting concept. I think um, we've definitely seen more of these narcissistic ego centered tendencies mm -hmm. in the world that we live in with social yeah. media and all of the things. Um, but, you know, at, on some levels, it, it is human survival too to to have a self-centered approach to survival. So, I, you know, that's an interesting juxtaposition. And I, uh, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on that as far as um, the importance of self. And um, I also have a lot of thoughts on that as far as the importance of faith is concerned. So that's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, point that you bring up. It's it's a dynamic and it's again, uh, opposing um, um, forces there, even within ourselves, I think, where we have to, to in, in many cases, try to find a compromise again, but what is serving me well and what would be serving others well. And uh, that uh, that kind of whole idea of individualism versus collectivism, um, where societies are more, um, in the West are more individualistic, others are more collectivistic. And my point of view is not to go to extreme to either side and kind of try to find a middle ground that works on, on both ways. Um, you know, I, I think there's a phrase that says everything in moderation, including moderation. Yes, that's <laughs> true too, yes. I don't disagree with you. I think that, you know, it's about balance. And the biggest thing I say about all, about all of this on the topic of religion, spirituality, and really everything is I reserve the right to change my mind when presented with new information. You know, I have an obligation to do so. I really like that. And I think that, that that has happened too. And people, because they go one way, they assume they have to go the way and they have to finish it the same way and I, i'm thinking no and for me things have changed and um just to the example of psychoanalysis years ago i thought no i mean that doesn't work for me in terms of spirituality when i was uh, a, a teen i embraced it fully and even religion and I, I have faith but then i kind of lost my way and then i'm coming back again so that kind of uh, going different ways and being ready for change and accepting that and being open to it. I think that is hugely important. And that is uh, in many cases missing 
in, in, uh, in the past, but also in today's world. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, I think that uh, to, to tie it back to the hiking thing, you know, if I pick a spot on a map and I hike there, but there's a, you know, a bear and a mama bear and cubs in the middle of the trail, you know, five mm -hmm. minutes from where I'm supposed to have my picnic lunch, eh, I'm going to reserve the right to change my mind to pick a different spot. I'm going to pick a different spot on the map. That's but there are some who would still walk through. It's like, no, bear doesn't stop me. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. I think having some discernment and a little vigilance there is a good thing. <laughs> mm -hmm, absolutely. So you talked about um, um, hiking. That's something you like to do. But you've also traveled across the world to various countries. And you enjoy that. And you enjoy flying. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, so I am an aviator. I recently got my pilot's license. I've been Ooh, to 22, 22, maybe 23 countries now, quite a few countries. I love the experience of um, seeing a different perspective on the world and how people live differently and how um, you know, people just embrace everything from nature to culture, to food, to whatever, differently. And, um, I, I thrive on that. I thrive on that different perspective. So it's really important to me to continually be learning and creating. Um, and that's a part of that. What was some of the biggest like takeaways or learning experiences they had with going to different cultures? Is that something that um, sticks out in your mind? It's like that was so impressive. Or um, any for me, I uh, I lived in in, in Mexico for a, a number of years, and for me, the um, the experience of poverty and how people are are much poorer than here in in in, in Canada and in the U.S but they seem to enjoy life so much more and even more than, than rich people or people of the upper middle class. And so for me, that was a learning experience. Like even if you don't have much, you can be quite, uh, quite happy. And you're also quite generous because they would invite me uh, over to places even though they didn't have much themselves. So that kind of like attitude towards life and mindset for me was, was impressive. Is there anything that sticks in mind for you that uh, you would like to talk about? Well, I. I definitely, I mean, before you shared that experience, that was going to be, you know, what I was going to say is that I am constantly amazed at how much less people have in foreign countries and, and yet how much happier or um, laid back or um, easygoing they are compared to us here in America specifically. But I also find that, um, I also find that, uh, you know, there's just a slower pace. Um, they eat slower they um, they visit slower, they walk slower. I mean, everything is just so much more peaceful and calm. And uh, I think in America, we're so busy going from place to place, we knock someone over to get to the place we gotta be. Yes. I and um, I yeah. love that when in foreign countries, there's a certain era of like, oh, okay, we're on island time. You know, even if I'm not in an island, for example. <laughs> That is it's hugely important. And they, they enjoy their food, they enjoy the meals together, and they make time for it, too. And I think that that kind of bonding we're missing out on. And that's why we also often feel isolated. And just another uh, experience came to mind when I was uh, for the first time I went to LA and I was walking around in, in at Glendale and exploring places on my own. And I was I was in my early 20s. And um, it was kind of getting dark. So I started walk to walk back to my to my uncle's uh, apartment. But uh, this homeless person stopped me and asked me for, for change. And I didn't have any money on me. I mean, it, was, it wasn't like I didn't have anything. 
And I got scared. I was frightened by him. But in the end, we started chatting and he was worried about me. And he even wanted to give me money so I can take a bus because he said, this area is really dangerous at night. And so the idea of a homeless person giving me money so I could be safe was just also quite mind opening. It's like how many um, stereotypes we have about people when in the end, you know, he, he was doing good to me. And uh, it was also funny at the same time. Isn't that, isn't that interesting, intriguing? It's so true. Um, you know, I where I live in a rural town in the Sierra Nevadas, there's a lot of burly, gruff-looking guys who, you know, people will come up to vacation and go for hikes or this or that. Say, oh, you know, I was at the gas station. That was very scary. And I'm like, you know, those are the guys that will literally give you the shirts off their backs. You know, yes. uh, so it is interesting how we do tend to. Um, you know, when we're outside of our comfort zone, we tend to protect ourselves in ways that, you know, we may not necessarily need to, but sometimes we do, but, but not always. And we like to box people into certain areas. And I think that is something that uh, needs to change. And that's something I, I, I disagree with, because when, when people like have preconceived uh, ideas about what I do or who I am and so on. It's just like, it's so limiting. And I, I, I reject those kind of boxes because I said, well, you know, just again, the idea of a gender and when we talk about uh, uh, being a woman, being married, having a family, and, and it comes with all these like suppositions that people have. And I think that is quite limiting and often wrong in many cases. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that it's natural um, because we want to put things in their place. You know what I mean? We want to sort things out and we want to be able to say, okay, when I see this, it means this. When I see that, it means that. Um, but that doesn't always benefit us. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. And, and, and it's often uh, kind of uh, leading us in the wrong direction. And uh, again, assuming assuming and my assumption about uh, these people are, are threats or these people, again, I, I don't mean it in a, in a negative way, but we do have these thoughts. And I think that's when we get also a bit uncomfortable of facing those, those, those thoughts that we have and say, and, and thinking about it and analyzing it. And the question again, why does this make me feel this way? And based on what? And I, I just uh, recently read a book about thinking, how our thinking is flawed because the information we get is often limited and it's based on a limited sample. And we assume that it applies to the whole when that's not really the case. Yeah, and I think that that also boils down to that human nature thing, you know, mm -hmm. and, and um, I think that uh, when we recognize that these things are there for our own survival, you know, this is what ke has kept humans alive for as long as they have, then we can have an air of grace about it too. And we can say, you know, that's okay. This is part of my human nature and I'm catching this because it's not serving me now, you know? I think evolution and evolutionary psychology for me has been quite enlightening because it, it, it does explain a lot of things. And so uh, even in terms of, of attitudes that we have, beliefs that we have, thinking that we have, and I think we can't just dismiss it and people want to sometimes uh, deny all this stuff that happened before and just say, no, we're just starting again afresh. And it doesn't work that way. It's like, you know, it's, it's built on each other and we have to uh, understand it and also learn from, from this, uh, I think. 
I totally agree. And I think that the learning component is what sets us apart, right? Mm -hmm. um, adapting to new information, reserving the right to change our mind when presented with new information. That's, that's the key. Okay, wonderful. And so you're, you're an author, you're a psychotherapist, a licensed psychotherapist, and also a podcaster. Now, if, if you compare all these, these different uh, things that you're doing, you're, you're writing, you're podcasting, and uh, again, providing therapy, um, what are um, some, of the, um, some of the things you enjoy most from, from each of those? What would you say? What, what, gives you, what makes you happy in each of them? I mean, podcasting for me is something that is, this is quite new over the past year. It's been blogging for a decade now. But um, podcasting is really thanks to what's happening in terms of technology and it's uh, with the pandemic as well. It's just grown so much. And it's something that I very much enjoy because I get to talk to, to wonderful people like yourself. And I really enjoy that stimu the stimulating conversations that we can have. But what would you say, each of those, what kind of uh, happiness do they bring to you? Yeah, well, as a psychotherapist, I feel like, you know, I'm helping the world in some way. So my bucket gets filled up knowing that I'm contributing something in a positive way. Um, in the podcasting world, you know, I really, same as you're, you're talking about, the expansive ways in which my mind um, is stimulated from having these conversations has just been really profound. Um, and I like the creative arts. So for me, that's a very creative <laughs> thing to do. Um, writing is my own therapy. So anything that I have written and published has been my own therapeutic process. And, you know, I'm just sharing that with the world. But, you know, it was for me first and foremost every time. So I think that, you know, that's that's been kind of a special outlet for me to process stuff that I have coming up up and that I'm going through so mm -hmm. wonderful so um, your book is coming out uh, in the fall you said on the fall okay this year um, we'll have to wait a bit but we're definitely looking forward to it it's growth mindset uh, workbook for adults empowering insights and exercises to turn challenges into opportunities and achieve your full potential you also have two podcasts uh the the first one was be you find happy that's uh with uh, over 150 episodes which is quite an achievement congrats uh, i'm working towards it i'm getting there slowly and you also have a new one uh this year started but why um can you talk about your two podcasts a bit as well what would you like to share here you know, Be You Find Happy was all about um, helping people tap into the idea that happiness is a constant reset, as we talked about earlier, and what kinds of tips, tricks, and tools they can use to really create a space of happiness. But throughout the past couple of years, I started to really dive into the root causes of unhappiness. And doing that, I realized that there was a lot of narrative shattering that needed to be happening in people's lives. Um, in order for them to get to a healthier space. And so the But Why podcast is all about taking a look at things from a different perspective than the traditional rainbows and butterflies. Wonderful. Great. Thank you so much for being on Arash's World. Best of luck to you in, in all your endeavors, in your therapy, in your writing, as well as in your podcasting. And thank you so much for being on Arash's World. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for having me. It was an awesome conversation. Thank you so much.